Sharpen your pencils and get your notebooks out. It's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome, diligent scholars all, to another edition of the Star Seminar, your team-taught class in advanced Cowboys footballogy. I hope you've brought an apple for the teacher because today, one of your teachers needs all the apples he can get because he's feeling a little under the weather still. Which one? Pray tell. It's not me, Dr. Rabble Rouser. Therefore, it must be none other than the inimitable, world-famous Cowboysologist, PhDs in multiple institutions, the great, yet under the weather, Dr. Danny Phantom. How are you today, sir? Uh, I am under the weather, as you know, as I have been for a while. This uh, this cold that I have is not going away. You know, and a couple of weeks mm. ago is when it seemed like it was the worst. And if I sound a little nasally, I apologize. That's I have a sinus infection, uh, which I will soon have antibiotics for. Uh, but nonetheless, um, haven't been feeling great. It's taken forever to get through this thing. I'm hoping that better days are on the horizon. Uh, but I am glad to be here with you today, Rabs. Uh, but I want to say I, I did have um, a little bit of an embarrassing moment this week. Um, uh oh. I was at home. My wife and granddaughter had went to the YMCA to go swimming, and my pastor stopped by. And I'm here, at home alone. And you see, he stopped by. You know, talking about some stuff from church, and he was only there like five minutes. You know, nothing big, quick conversation, in and out, and then he leaves. But then when he leaves, I realized that on the television screen is women's wrestling. Now, I was gonna say porn. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's that I don't know, but that would be even tougher to explain. But it was yeah, women's wrestling. I want to just first off say that I do not. I do not watch women's wrestling. Uh, I do not watch um, men's wrestling. I uh, Not since puberty do I watch those shows. But the, the dealio there was that my wife, who loves to watch like Law & Order, she loves those type of shows. And that, that's on like USA Network, I believe. So she was watching that earlier. And then when it's over, it goes to this, to the, this wrestling. And, and it was on women's wrestling. And if you've ever seen re women's wrestling, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, you know, I mean, their attire, it, you know, it doesn't leave a lot to the imagination. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's not something you would hope that your pastor would come in and, you know, see you watching. So, and the frustrating part about that too is like, I, I can't even really feel like, you know, I can explain it. You know, like I felt like some like three's company misunderstanding moment where like, you know, I just, I really want to say, Hey, just by the way, you're like Jack Tripper trying to talk his way out of it. Yeah, well, I just want to explain. I wasn't watching that. You know, here's here's what really happened. But sure anyway. you weren't. <laughs> anyway, it was very embarrassing. I don't know, Raps. I know, knowing you, you have to have some type of embarrassing moment like that. Some type of little thing that maybe a misunderstanding or caught off guard or something. And I mean, help help me feel a little better here. Well, uh, mine involves, uh, at the very end, uh, firemen and fire trucks. So I think uh, it oh. should make you feel better. So um, as, you, as you may know, we've been doing this for a while, I tend to vacation at least once, if not multiple times uh, per up in Maine because my wife's best friend and um, her boyfriend, uh, my wife's best friend's boyfriend, and also my wife's mom uh, live up in Maine. And um, so we tend to go up there 
both on Fourth of July and then usually either for Christmas or for Thanksgiving. So this is a couple of Thanksgivings ago. We're up there. Even when we go up there, oftentimes my wife and I do most of the cooking because we like to do that and, and we're good at it. And so we tend to be the ones in charge of that. So, uh, you know, here we were the day before Thanksgiving doing some cooking. It's a little bit chilly up there. It is Maine after all. And, um, you know, we decided it's going to be really cozy. It's going to be a nice day. You know, it's a nice day here. Let's, 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 let's start a fire. So, uh, you know, the intrepid mountain man that I am, ha, I decide to, I build a fire. I was a boy scout. I was like a, I was a life scout. I was a good boy scout. Like, you know, I was, I know how to do some stuff. I got some merit badges, man. And, um, so I build a fire. Um, and of course you have to like open the flue and then you have to sometimes like, you have to like light something so that the temperature and the flue changes. So the smoke goes up instead of going out. And because it's all about like air pressure and stuff, it's very complicated from a sort of like, you know, um, barometric point of view uh at any rate i thought i'd done it i thought i followed the directions and um i had actually lit lit a fire at my wife's mom's house like the previous year and smoke had gone pouring into the into the living room i think and so i was like there's no way this is going to happen again so this time i light the fire seems like it's going fine and then all of a sudden like the fire is roaring and the smoke is pouring into the living room absolutely pouring into the living room and 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 the thing is it, it was so hot that it was hard to like reach in and like open the flue or do anything with it so my wife and I are freaking out we're trying to like get a bucket of water to like put out the fire There's smoke everywhere the 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 fire detectors uh smoke detectors rather go off of course the whole house is blaring they've got like two dogs dogs are running around barking <laughs> everything's going crazy and then finally we do this thing and then and then the obligatory visit from the fire department because of course this is this is alerted the fire department that the house is on fire and so this gigantic fire truck comes pulling up and like five firemen get down and they have to they, and they basically are inspecting the entire house now entire place two-story house reeks of smoke and and to, to cap it all off they just bought the place like not that long before so like it's still like it's, it's like it's like it's like throwing up in someone's new car when it still has new car smell <laughs> yeah. It was it was awful. I was so mad at myself. Oh my goodness! Uh, I was it was embarrassing and humiliating, and um, and you know, and the thing is, the firemen are there, and they're like, "What happened here?" And they're like, "See the tall guy there? He didn't open the flue." And they're like, "Hey, flue, huh, buddy?" I'm like, "No, I didn't open the flue. That's a pretty basic mis 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 mistake there, huh, buddy?" Yeah, pretty basic mistake. They're all laughing at each other, elbowing each other. Look at the dumb city slicker didn't open the flue. So that was my embarrassing moment. Uh, well, that does make me feel better. Um, so thank, yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything I can do to help make, make you feel better, my friend, because these are the times when um, we all need a little boost in that regard. Uh, just as we talked about last week, the Cowboys are on the sidelines watching other teams battle it out for supremacy. Um and that really sucks. So what we're going to do today, actually, is we're going to look at all of the different areas of the Cowboys, starting with ownership and then going down through the GM, the head coach, the uh, offensive coordinator, and the quarterback. Because uh, as we've talked about many times on this show, that is the sort of like, those are the pieces in the organization that really drive success. Uh, and then I think... From that, what we're hoping to do is identify a couple of areas 
where we need to do a deeper dive and we'll have specific one-off shows in coming weeks where we actually do deeper dives in those areas. Uh, before we get to that though, thinking about this particular you know, constellation of, of peoples and talents and personalities uh, and the head coach, uh, I, was, I was hoping that you could help me rank the different Cowboys eras. So the eras are not absolutely aligned to the head coach. Let, let me just uh, kind of articulate what the different eras are. Um, we have early Landry before they had playoff success. Mm -hmm. Then we have high Landry, right, from like 66 through like, well, let's say 84. And then we have the sort of the Landry Denouement, those last few years, maybe 84 to 88, whatever that was, like the last five years of Landry in which he, you know, the league sort of caught up and passed him by. Then we have the Jimmy Johnson years, which actually last for me all the way through 95, mm -hmm. uh, even though he wasn't the head coach. Then we have the Dark Ages. We have the Cowboys medieval period, yeah. in uh, which, which stretched from the very end of the Switzer era through the Chan Gailey era and across the Dave Campo years. Then we've got the Parcells era. Then we've got an interesting era after that, which is essentially post-Parcells, uh, and it involves the Wade Phillips years and the beginning of the Garrett years up until about 2013. Then we have the, the Jason Garrett, Will McClay years. And then finally, finally, at the end of that, we have the Mike McCarthy years. So uh, you don't have to rank all of them. I think we can all agree that like the, the dark ages, the medieval period for the Cowboys was the, was the low point. Mm -hmm. But um, I would like for you to just like take the top, I don't know, let's just say, let's just say uh, top four, top five. Perfect. What, what are your top five of our different sort of historical periods in Cowboys history? Um, so I know I have a good – the top three I feel good about. Um, after that, it gets starts to have to think about it. So I'm gonna obviously to me, I think that the the high Landry era is number one on the list. Um, I mean, that's basically when we became the Cowboys. You know, this you know became America's team and everything that we have, all the success that we have, it all started. You know, back then the Cowboys. You know, Landry had his team winning. Every season, it was just incredible. Um, they they got two Super Bowls out of it, but those but they were always at the top of the uh, every year. Um, they were making noise, and they were just such a fun team to watch. And so, I, I, to me, I feel like it's it's hard to put anything above um, the high Landry era. Um, I don't know if you agree on that, but uh, number two for me is the Jimmy Johnson era. And uh, which is weird because if you think about it, go the Landry high, high Landry to the, the 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 Landry decline, and then not much longer we have the Jimmy Johnson era. So the Cowboys, I think, are very lucky to go to really have two of their best eras, just like almost on top of each other. And of course, we all know what Jimmy did for this team and how he basically took a team that was really bad and then turned them into to back to back champions. And like as you said. Uh, we both count um, the, the 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 seasons when they still had his players, the lingering land uh, Jimmy years, um, you know, where they won three Super Bowls in four years. So, to me, that's the number two on my list, and this is the part where we'll probably start to disagree. Um, I think the Jason Garrett era is next on my list, 
And we've had lots which, which Jason Garrett era though? Oh, this is before or after McClay. This is his era, the 2014 with McClay. Okay. I mean, when okay. so early on with Jason Garrett when he took over from Wade Phillips, I felt like the first couple of years at least they were doing some bookkeeping issues. They 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 really were kind of re- almost a, a small little mini rebuild in in a sense of as you saw the Cowboys actually transition from a team that makes a lot of takes a lot of chances to be in more of like to what we know them to be now, um, which is why I value the Jason Garrett era so much and why I value the Jason Garrett influence so much. And I think the what the impact he had on, on the front office as a whole is still something that lives to this day. But I, I mean, the that's when they started becoming, they didn't have any, we, we know the playoff history, but I still think the Jason Garrett era you're looking at a team that you always knew was going to be competitive. They, I, I think they have they had a culture, which is something that they don't really have since Jimmy, in my opinion. Uh, uh, so that's why the Garrett era is, is so high on my list. And then after that, I mean, there's not a lot of, to choose from. It's I, I guess I would go Bill Parcells next because I think what he was getting them out of the dark ages. And you can kind of see he didn't have the talent. And uh, he, he wasn't so aggressive like Jimmy Johnson did, where he's like tearing it all down and trading it all away. And he was he he more tried to do like a um, kind of a soft rebuild, where just like maybe little improvements, and they and they slowly got better. And then they they were they were a good team. By the time he he called it quits, I mean he gave Wade Phillips a good team. So mm-hmm. Parcells era is next, uh, probably McCarthy after that. But McCarthy to me is I feel like he's just. Um, uh, treading. He's 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 not doing anything worse. He's not doing anything better. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I feel like he's just keeping the Jason era, era Jason Garrett era going. Um, it's almost like an extension of the Garrett era. In my opinion, I don't see any real big um, differences that he's bringing to the organization. But at the same time, he's not a detriment um, to to them as well. So I think that that would be my my five. But everything after that is bad. I mean. Switzer and Gay, you know, not not that Gailey was bad, but the, the dark ages Camp- were, Campo, were very dark. Those were yeah. bad, and of course, mm-hmm. so when Landry first took started, the Cowboys were not a winning team. That was that was also bad. So that that's how I have those guys ranked. I, I think that's really that's really interesting. Um, I would, I, as you know, Jimmy Johnson, I believe, was the best coach in Cowboys history, and I believe his team. Uh, the 92 93 Cowboys, maybe even into 95 is the best team the league has ever seen because it was the last team that was complete before free agency made it really hard to have a complete team in quite that same way. Um, so I think, I think other teams since then probably would have been better, but that, but free agency doesn't allow for that kind of depth of, of, of team building. Um, so those are my one, two. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I, I, I the reason I asked this question is because I think it's, I think it's, a strong argument can be made anyway that McCarthy is number three because if you think about Landry and how many years Landry was good and yet how few times they went to the show how few times they you know I mean they they did go to more like you know NFC championship games in an era in which it was considerably easier because there weren't as many playoff teams but um you know, like his playoff record was was probably not even as good as as McCarthy's, and and in some ways, what McCarthy is doing now is is giving us Landry 2.0 in the sense that they make the playoffs every year, and then they're 
their you know their next year's team. That was that was the Landry Cowboys for years and years and years was next year's team, and so um, you know I I think that we're hearing so much about you know McCarthy and how awful this team is and how they have to bl- blow it up and I'm like. There's only been one other time in their history where they won 12 games three years in a row. That is really, really hard to do. Um, and so we can talk more maybe in future episodes about what McCarthy does bring. And, and I think I think there's there are things certainly that he does that have been significant improvements on the Jason Garrett era. I will, however, before we move on, grant you that Jason Garrett did everything in his power to create a culture in Dallas. But I think that ultimately the the sort of pull in the opposite direction was probably too strong for him, and he couldn't he couldn't do it alone um, because I think culture comes from the top. But we'll talk we'll talk more about that when we when we examine this team in more depth. Yes, sir. I did want to say though you, you kind of like triggered me a little bit when you started comparing McCarthy to Tom Landry. Um, I. I want to say, you know, Landry, when you look at, I'm not, I pulled it up, I have the data in front of me. When you look at like 1970 to 1982, I mean, you only have, let me count them, one, two, three instances in 13 years where they did not at least get to the NFC championship game. And many of those times, Super Bowls, five Super Bowls, you know, they won two. So, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about uh, maybe next year's team is fine, but definitely one of this year's best teams also applies to Landry's Cowboys, too. And mm-hmm. I just think that's a dark contrast to someone like the, the Mike McCarthy era. So I, I needed to just... Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'll grant you that. I'll also say that it was, I think it was much, much easier to get to the NFC Championship game then. And we can talk. We can talk more about about that because uh, this is something we could argue about a lot. And I'm not trying to argue against Landry. I mean, I think I think all the things you you, you said about him are absolutely right. I, in some ways, I'm just trying to use that as an example for why we, uh, or to, to sort of wonder out loud why it is that we are so anti McCarthy. Honestly, I think it's because he's fat and has a Pittsburgh accent. That's not it. I think if it, I think if he was thin and, and had a California accent, I think we'd all like him a lot better oh, because he's just big, big guys are loved. No, I really think I really think so. Big guys are I lovable really too. So. We love Andy Reid. I mean, people love Andy Reid. It's I don't think that's it. I, I think it's 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 the pudding, not the pudding he eats. It's the 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 proof is in the pudding, and I think that's that's it. And and you mm-hmm. make good points too. And and as as a McCarthy quote unquote hater, um, you. It's unfair to say that he's not good because, I mean, mm-hmm. what, what he does do, what he's done is has been good. But what what we want is someone. So it's but the same is also true for Jason Garrett. People hate Jason Garrett because he wasn't good enough. And, and McCarthy has not brought that either. And, yeah, as you said, we're going to talk more about this. And, yeah. you yeah. know, there's a lot we got to get to the bottom of. But uh, that, that's right. So let so why don't we uh, get to the bottom of it, my friend, or at least at least like skim the top so we can figure out which which bottoms we want to uh, to plumb in in subsequent episodes. So if I heard you correctly, you're gonna run through the owner, the GM, the head coach, coordinators, and the quarterback. That, yes, sir. This sounds a awful lot like. Um, are we gonna get a rebels roundup? I think we are. Saddle up, everybody. 
It's time for Rabble's Roundup. All right, so as you know, for Rabble's Roundup, what we like to do is look at the team's spine. And we start with the owner, work our way down. When we, when we do this for uh, the you know that week's opposition, we tend sometimes to skip certain certain pieces of that that might not be as influential or might not you know offer as many talking points. I think for this exercise, we're going to linger on all of them, although there may be a couple that we don't spend quite as much time on because we feel pretty clearly about them. I think the ones we'll spend more time on are the ones um, where we're feeling a little bit more ambiguously or ambivalently. Mm. Okay, so uh, I don't know there's anybody in, in American sports about whom you should feel more ambiguously or ambivalently than Jerry Jones, the Cowboys owner. So let's start there. And I think, you know, when we talk about the ownership, we're going to have to talk about both Jerry and Steven. And I think it's really important to kind of think about the fact that you've got two people who are in that ownership position who have very different approaches. So let's just talk real quickly about Jerry's approach. And then I'd love to hear, I just kind of want to offer this and I'd like to hear what you, you have to say about Cowboys ownership. For years, after the Jimmy Johnson era, I felt like Jimmy, excuse me, that Jerry tried to emulate Jimmy. And, and he also tried to bring the thing that he believes has made him successful, which is his tolerance for risk, right? Mm -hmm. as, a, as an oil field wildcatter, his tolerance for risk is what made him a very, Absolutely. very rich man, right? And he believes that that's transferable. I strongly disagree. I, in fact, I can come up with many reasons why I don't believe that's transferable. So that's that's him. And Stephen Jones grew up, you know, came of age in an era in which his dad was playing fast and loose, trading up and down the draft, spending a bunch of money on free agents, trying to win every year, um, you know, basically meddling and and, um, and interfering with draft processes and talent acquisition processes, et cetera. And also by extension, getting into a lot of cap trouble mm -hmm. while he had a team that was that was either aging or not very good. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that Stephen Jones has brought, which is a really important counterweight to Jerry, is a kind of sobriety, right? Uh, he, he's It's a very low risk. It's a risk-averse approach, very very careful with the cap. Very, They don't do much trading in the draft at all, and it's certainly mm -hmm. not in the first couple rounds because I think he's, he's shown – Probably to his dad, hey, when you used to move up in the draft, we almost always lost value. Hey, let, let, let's at least maintain the value we have. If we're going to trade, it's got to be because, you know, we want to we we add value. But I don't think those trades ever really materialize with enough value that, that they want. Um, I think that in, in conjunction with, with Will McClay, Stephen Jones has brought some clarity to their personnel decisions and their personnel processes. I believe he's a much clearer thinker than his dad his dad is a more creative and energetic person i think than steven is um i also think that jerry is a much more likable person than steven is i think one of the problems that stephen jones has is he's a fundamentally unlikable person and i think a lot of people who are in the organization who've left the organization who have bad things to say about it have bad things to say about it because of stuff that Steven does. I think Jerry loves his players, is willing to do everything for them. I think Steven sees the players as basically... Well, they're, they're commodities. They're, they're assets. They're commodities. They're assets. Exactly. And Jerry loves them, loves athletes, wants to be around them. And, um, and, uh, and 
I think that's actually both a strength of his because he gets tremendous loyalty from his players and also weakness of his because he holds on to them too long. He pays too much for them, etc. So I think that's the kind of push me, pull you tension that exists in the cow in the Cowboys ownership block personally. And I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, that dynamic and that tension drives so much of what happens with the Cowboys and has over the last, you know, X amount of years. And we can see over, over the last what 30 years, a shift from the Jones, the Jerry Jones Cowboys, uh, high risk, low reward, but potentially high reward, but very high risk Cowboys to one where the ceiling is not as high, but the floor is much higher with Steven. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics, but now with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. If you're talking about the owner, basically, I really just center it around Jerry. I always, everything to do with Steven, I kind of group in there with Will McClay and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, the, and the GM part of the organization. So, but when you're talking about the ownership, to me, I mean, we all know that Jerry Jones is a showman. You know, it's all about presentation. Right out of the get-go, he was like that. Um, you know, it, he is a business-minded person. And, you know, it, he's, he, he bought the Cowboys and, of course, he turned it into this, you know, mega billion dollar, you know, organization. Mm-hmm. And, and Absolutely. And But the whole Cowboy, everything about the Cowboys is, is a show. And here's the thing is I used to think differently of Jerry Jones as I did now. Like I, I used to just, I just loathed him. To, I mean, basically, after the Jimmy debacle, I mean, I, I to me, I was like, "What? What is wrong with this guy?" And it took mm-hmm. it took a long time for me to warm up to him again. And and I do think that Jerry has grown up. And as far as what he does and his amount of meddling is quite different than what it wa- once was. Absolutely. But I, I mean, when's the last time you saw him on the sidelines? Yeah, yeah. So he's different. He's smart enough now to where he's he's let he let other people do their job. But he's still only as smart as the people around him, and when he doesn't have the right people around him, the Cowboys are going to struggle, and that's that's shown, you know, when, with Switzer, and then with Parcells, and then with as as the Cowboys have kind of mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. and down through this. But I did want to say one thing about Jerry Jones, and then we can move on from from him. Um, I want to say that, 
as we're, you and I are talking on this podcast, uh, one of a plethora of Dallas Cowboy podcasts, is mm-hmm. that Jerry Jones gives the Cowboys relevance. And he has done so much to for the NFL as an owner. He is a Hall of Fame owner, and I think that is deserved. As long as you can separate owner, you know, and you don't start to bring him into like GM because he's the opposite of Hall of Fame when, it, when you start to to move over that but as an owner and the things that he's done as far as the relevance part it's i can complain about how it's a circus uh but at the same time you know we we get checks from because because people want to people want to talk about him people want to talk about him people want to listen about him i mean people are interested in him and there's some i mean this is a around the year thing with the cowboys and it never stops and it's that's why it's just the cowboys are at the forefront of everybody's you know, talk show and every, I mean, and it has been that way for, for years. And as much as we will get mad and, and be like shaking our head at Jerry Jones and the sound bites he gives and the, and the weird thing he says, and where I wish you would keep your mouth shut sort of thing. He, he, you know, he fuels it and he provides relevance to it. And I think, you know, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you in that regard. I do think that we, there's some credit that he deserves as well, because, we're talking about the Cowboys because Jerry Jones has, has just made it such a, a media frenzy type of thing. So I, I just wanted to mention that. No, I mean, listen, you're absolutely right. He's a Hall of Fame owner. And I think all of the things he's done from an ownership perspective, uh, from a marketing perspective for the league, he's absolutely transformed the league. And in fact, there's a whole new wave of owners who have a profiles much more like him than like the old school owners. And I th- and the league has been absolutely changed forever by his presence. Um, and the other owners, most of them, love him for it because he, with his marketing genius, which has permeated and mm-hmm. sort of by osmosis throughout the league, um, has made all of them rich already, mm-hmm. incredibly, incredibly wealthy people. Now, you said earlier that you, you made a split that I think is really uh, interesting. Um, which is to sort of say that Stephen Jones is more, you know, aligned with Will McClain is more of a sort of GM person than an owner person. Um, I think that's, and that's really interesting. Uh, so let's actually transition into the sort of other, other Jones slash Will McClay and talk about, um, the GM talent personnel side of the operation. What are your initial impressions of, uh, of Will McClay? slash Stephen Jones, that sort of that sort of personnel decision making dyad. I love those guys. You know, I I'm a I'm a pro Cowboys roster building. I I will give I will praise those guys to the moon and back. Um they they don't do everything right, but they do so many things right. And this is you know from Will McClay and the player personnel scouting department, the the exceptional job that those guys do, as well as Stephen Jones's approach of like, look, you know what? Gone are the days where we're pushing our chips in the middle. We're going to mortgage the future for for what needs to happen. He he has made it to where the Cowboys are able to compete every year. They're going to have a fighting chance because they're not in some type of crazy hole because of the decisions they made and the decisions that they had made in the past put them in the hole. And now here's the thing, and this is what I'm curious to hear what you think about this, is this is one of the things that the, the it's weird about the Cowboys because I just said that they're competitive every year and they're always have a chance because of the decisions they make. 
But Jerry Jones, when you start to bring him into the mix, Jerry Jones has this belief that the Cowboys have a chance every year. Like, they're great every year. He's always felt that way. There's never been mm-hmm. a moment, other than Jimmy's first year, where they've mm-hmm. been honest with themselves and said, we suck. We got a major overhaul that we need to do. They're always thinking that they have the team that that – that it could be competitive if we just tweak a little bit here, a little bit there, we're going to be good. So there's that part of it. But Stephen Jones and and the drafting that the Cowboys do and Will McClay, they give the Cowboys a chance every year to, to do that. So if they do make the the right decisions, they're going to have years where they have a chance to, to actually make a run for it. And that's one thing that I appreciate about this organization is because mm-hmm. we're, we're never – I don't know the last time you, you felt this way, Raps, where it's like, this is, you know, I don't know what the point is. This is not our year. We don't have a chance. Uh, it, it takes a quarterback going down for us to fill that not, way. Not since Parcells. Yeah, not, it's, it's been a long time. And I think that that, yeah. that says something. And that's, that. you know, I think we're lucky in that regard because there's, you know, there's not, there's so many organizations that you just know from the onset, they're not doing anything that year. You know, it's they're at least a couple years away if that's even going to, you know, so I don't know. To me, I I, I I very much value that. Yeah, no, I think I think I think from a fan standpoint that that's uh, really great, and I think that we as fans have lost sight of 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 what a blessing in a way um, that is, because as you said, there are lots of organizations that don't even sniff the playoffs, and in fact. All we have to do is go, is go back to your to your you know your beloved Jason Garrett, in which that that was a good team, but they 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 weren't in the tournament. That if, if the entire personnel and sort of philosophy that undergirds their their personnel decisions is get into the tournament, be good enough to compete every year, you've got to get to the tournament. And Jason Garrett didn't do that often enough, and I think that that's. Um, you're absolutely right. That's what the Cowboys want to do. They want to get in the tournament, and then you got a puncher's chance, right? You got a chance to, to, to you you get a lucky bounce, you have a good game, and, and you have a chance. But you can't even get you can't even get a puncher's chance if you don't make the tournament. And so the so job one is get there every year, and then keep you know keep the team going so that they have a chance every year. And they've done a really good job of that the last the last few years, except years when their starting quarterback gets injured and is down for the year. And then there's these sort of weird aberrant years about every five years where they end up, you know, significantly below 500 because there's been a, 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 a catastrophic quarterback injury. Um, I will say that from a personnel perspective, one of the reasons that the Cowboys have been so successful uh, on the drafting side that we, that we talked about with our, with our good friend OCC a year or two ago, when we taught, when we sort of did a little Cowboys analysis is they're drafting so well because they haven't had to spend a lot of resources chasing a quarterback. Oh yeah, right. The Cowboys have been we like we right now everybody's bemoaning the 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 sort of unbelievable run of luck that the Packers have had to go from Favre to Rodgers to now Jordan Love, right? Um, the Cowboys have had an even more extraordinary run, run of luck in a way when you think about an undrafted free agent and the guy who's 135th pick overall, both being all pro caliber like top three or four in your conference caliber quarterbacks year on year on year, which allows you to then spend your draft resources elsewhere. The, the one of the reasons why those four and 12 teams are four and 12 every year is because they're spending resources chasing a quarterback who doesn't pan out. And then another one doesn't pan out. And then another one. And the Cowboys haven't done that. And I'm, I, for one, I'm terrified about what's going to happen 
when they have to start doing that mm. because they don't get lucky again and get a quarterback and they and they you know they they chase Paxton Lynch after Paxton Lynch. But let's not let's not go there yet because we have other aspects of the organization to look at. So let's let's move our let's move our way down and I I think My instinct, if, if this was a team that the Cowboys are playing, would be to lump the head coach and the offensive coordinator together. I suppose probably for our purposes and to give you full reign for your McCarthy bashing, we should probably separate the two. So let's just talk about uh, the head coach now, Mike McCarthy. Um, dude, you, you have as much to say about him as anybody I know. I'll give you the floor. You, you get the opening salvo. Tell us about Mike McCarthy. It's difficult because... I think that there's a lot of things that he does well. And when you talk about the experience and you, you've, you've uh, came to his rescue a lot with it, the way that he goes about things and the structure of the, of the season and the planning. And I think those are valuable. Um, my issues with McCarthy and of course they, they do fall into the coordinator and the coaching part is that when I, when I really look closely at the things that coaches do to, to, better their team that has an impact on their team. I just find myself thinking that he's even or a detriment. He, he does things that are either no effect to hurting the team. I think that some of the, the coaching decisions that he makes, um, sometimes the team's just very unprepared and they showed, they don't show a lot of discipline, which is frustrating to no end. I don't know really how to describe that. I haven't seen Usually the Cowboys, I mean, they've been no strangers to a year of just not doing well penalties, but usually you'll see them come back and they'll correct themselves and they'll they'll improve. With McCarthy, it's almost kind of, well, that's just sort of our thing. You know, we're just, we just commit penalties. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's that's terrible. I mean, the winning teams don't do that. And there's just a a lot, a long list of things that, you know, when you look at what head coaches do that, that I don't think he does well. Um, And I don't, have an explanation. And I don't put all the blame on McCarthy for that, the Packers debacle. Um, but I will say this, and I wrote something up about this um, th- this past week. When you look at the Mike McCarthy, I now remember the Packers, they were good before McCarthy showed up. Mike Holmgren had, they were good. They won just as much as yep. before McCarthy as they did with McCarthy. So it's not like McCarthy came in and was. And after. And, and after, yeah, yeah. Um, so. But when you take away that Super Bowl and you start to look at it, all his playoff um, games and, and the path that they did, it's very similar <laughs> to what – I mean, I think Packer fans experienced a lot of disappointment too with the, with the things that they've gone through. Outside of the times that he actually beat the Cowboys, there is not a whole lot of difference. You know, they would be getting the playoffs the same same type of – a amount of times, like 75%, they were making the playoffs, but they would just mm-hmm. lose in disappointing fashion. And then, of course, you see what's happened since joining the Cowboys. And it's not like the Cowboys weren't doing this already before he showed up. They were already just disappointing us. But these last three playoff games, it's like, what is going on? It's like, you know, it's you have games where you expect to win, and they come out there and they underperform. And it's just, it's very disappointing. And I feel like, He's he's a, a fine regular season guy, but when you get to the play, playoffs, I think that's when uh, other things start to show themselves and show who you really are. And I think so far what McCarthy has been has been a disappointment. So let me ask you this: uh, Who in in the 
NFL coach. So that means not Bill Belichick. It's better. Than McCarthy? Yeah, oh. in, in terms of in terms of the things you're talking about, like the the regular season versus push versus playoff record, etc. I mean, because I think I think the thing about that is that's true of most coaches. I mean, there's so slight variations, but those variations I think can also be attributed to things like luck. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that that I mean, other than Belichick who broke the league with Brady, like who who else who else has I think. Uh, you know, a significantly better record. I think Andy Reid's teams are always going to give you something. I think J- John Har- Harbaugh's teams are always going to give you. Something. Okay, so let's let's let, let's look at Andy Reid. So he's got uh, his his postseason. He's four six hundred in postseason. He's played he's played forty postseason games, or his teams have, and he's twenty four and sixteen. So he's better than McCarthy there. But he's also been in the league 25 years and, and, and has lost in the division. He's made it to the division around 14 and only made it to the conference championship four times. He's been in the league 25 years and made it to four conference championships or lost in, it lost in the, uh, at that level, you know, four times. So I don't know. I just feel like. It's now that the tournament is bigger, there's so many more opportunities to lose earlier that I feel like we as Cowboy fans are applying an, a, a deeply, deeply unreasonable standard. So it, there's two standards, basically, that, that, that we grew up in, both of which are historically anomalous. One was, and these are both the two that, these are the, clearly the two top eras that we talked about, right? One is the, the Lander era. They made the playoffs 20 years in a row, made a bunch of conference championship games. When the competition was, was significantly less, you know, lower quality, and you only had to win once to make it the cha- conference championship game, and that win was almost always a home game. And then the Jimmy Johnson era, which, as I said before, I believe strongly that that was the best team the league has ever seen, the most complete and deep team the league has ever seen, at least in my in my lifetime, my viewing lifetime. And so um, I guess part of it is, like, if our expectations are built on that, then in some ways our, then we expect the, – the only thing that, that, that can note success for us is if you have the, the Patriots-level success, which is completely anomalous. Like, if you look at all the other coaches – and all the other teams, they have success roughly equivalent to what, what what we're enjoying now. I know we haven't gone to a conference championship game, you know, and I know that I know that that's a problem, but like we're not supposed to. The league isn't set up for that to happen, right? There's there, there's too many there's too many playoff games you have to get to before then, and eventually they're going to luck into one, and it's not going to matter anymore. I mean, they've had bad luck, and they've had they've had these other serious problems, but I I guess. Part of, part of, I think, what we need to do as Cowboy fans is align our expectations more realistically. We don't deserve anything better than any other team just because we happen to, 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 to you know, have to follow a team that was lucky enough to have the Landry heyday and the Johnson we heyday. We do deserve more. No, we don't. We don't deserve more. No, because, no, we do not. I mean, re- absolutely. We don't deserve more than anybody. We no, don't deserve more than Tampa Bay fans. No, we, we don't deserve more than Lions fans or Cardinals fans or Browns fans or anybody. I want to clarify. We deserve more success than what we're experiencing. There's no reason for this Cowboys team. But to- we're experiencing more success than most teams. <sighs> the- than most Teams. Depending on what you're defining your success. I mean, the Cowboys, what are they now? Just now, it's just us in Washington that hasn't been, that's the longest since we made it to the conference championship. I mean, we the Cowboys 
need to. I'm fine with them not winning the Super Bowl. But see, that's just a cherry pick stat. No, I mean, but, I think no, in general, like again, like the if you look at winning percentage and game on game, this has been a very, very successful franchise. I feel it that you would think that the, the odds would even out to where the Cowboys would and have advanced at least once. And it's not yeah, It's not just... I, I think they will. They will. We keep... I, I, think the, I think the issue, Danny, the issue is that they haven't been in the tournament enough. Like, you know, there's been like a couple years here. There have been just too many years where they were a good enough team, but not good enough to make the I'll tournament. Tell you what. And they didn't have an opportunity to, to, to win that game and, and then, you know, get, get a lucky bounce and, and find themselves in the championship game. I'll give you this. Listen... It's not. It's not like they've been four and thirteen every year since 1996. If that was the case, then I think we'd say, oh, you know what, this this franchise is I decrepit beyond beyond redemption. I hear you. If you were to give me the Mike McCarthy regular season and the Jason Garrett postseason, then I would be able to sit there and say, you know what, one of these days we'll get it. Uh, but the fact that that McCarthy's Cowboys have shown up in the postseason. And they have performed at a level beneath who they who they are, and they're not even. I mean, this last one wasn't even a game that they had a chance to win. I mean, you look at the other playoff losses where, you know, the Dez thing and the, the Jared Cook. I mean, these are games the Cowboys had a really good chance, and you could talk about how a play here or there did not go our way. But I think the Cowboys they're not prepared. They're not showing up. Okay, so hold on one second. This is actually one of the things that, that drives me crazy. So they came out flat against San Francisco in 21. Granted, uh-huh. San Francisco came out, was more aggressive, punched them in the mouth. Uh-huh. They didn't have a response. They did, weren't, weren't ready for the physicality. And suddenly they were down 9 or 12 or whatever it was, and they were shell-shocked, and they didn't know what to do. I totally, 100%. I think something very similar happened this year, but like last year, let's look no, at what happened. Last in year, I'll give you that. Last year, I'll give you. Okay, that. so that's that. So that's. I mean, like, we're there's two games last year, and then two games the other year. So it's like half the time they've come out really well prepared. If you think about last year, they 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 went on the road and beat Tom Brady and just beat that team like a drum, mm-hmm. and then they went to San Francisco with no offensive weapons, and um. And had the game in hand until Tony Pollard went down, and then suddenly they just didn't have enough horses. Well, if Tony Pollard doesn't go down, there's a chance they score. There's a chance they stay in that game. They, I, I think they actually did an incredibly good job of game planning to try to beat a superior, healthier team, a team with a lot more weapons on the road. They did a, an, an incredible job. Getting as close as they did, I, I I couldn't have asked much more from them. They, it was really just the, the Pollard injury that that was the sort of final straw and left them without enough resources to compete. So I think the thing about that is like we can't say they're always unprepared because half the time they've been prepared. Okay. Half the time they've been really well prepared, and then there's a couple of times they haven't been. So I think what the, the thing is we 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 let our disappointment form the narrative, and and it's not always accurate. So I think that, um, you know, we'll, we're going to talk more in future episodes about a couple of the points that we've raised so far. Um, uh, what I'm going to propose, my friend, is that we resume this lecture next week with a continued discussion of the head coach, the offensive coordinator and play calling, and then um, a discussion of the quarterback.
I didn't. And then from those twin discussions, we can identify other areas for for uh, deeper diving. So I get to complain about McCarthy next week too. Dude, I'm giving you the opportunity for a double dip. Oh, and think about this. The next time we do, you will have had an entire week of antibiotics. So you'll be at full strength. Yeah. 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 No, I, I'm excited for that. Uh, you know, no, I, I, I agree. There is. You and me both, buddy. I'm tired of carrying us. <laughs> no, that's, I, I, I can't wait to continue that conversation. Uh, but that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review, wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, coaches, owners, what you think of them, you know, let us know. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Phantom. 24 you can hit rabs up over on myspace i'm sure that's where you can find him um but don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week every day we got something new for you tomorrow i have the world's team with meg murray and paul stewart so make sure to check that out but that's all we have for today thanks for hanging out with us hope you have a great weekend stay safe stay happy stay true to the silver and blue and we will catch you later last is missed